My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome to another day as we continue our journey through the Word of God. We're going to be concluding Matthew chapter 28, a wonderful chapter, the conclusion of Matthew's gospel and the uh, beginning of the new era that we as Christ followers were about to begin. And we're going to pick up today at verse 11 of chapter 28. Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they came, when they had assembled with the elders and and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money, did as they were instructed, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Now, tell them that the disciples have stolen the body. That's why we still hear it, because it started on the night. That's why we still hear it, okay? A cover-up by the religious leaders of the day, because they knew the truth of the resurrection and they wanted to reject that truth. And it showed their foolishness. The way they handled it was so silly. It was so even intellectually silly the way that they handled it. Because if it was true that the guards were asleep, then how would they know that the disciples stole the body? If you're asleep, I don't know how you know what's going on when you're asleep. How would they know? Uh, so for, to believe that the disciples stole the body, this is what you would have to believe. You'd have to believe that all the soldiers were asleep, every single one of them that all of them went to sleep knowing that they could be killed for sleeping on the job, so that every single one of them was like, yep, I don't care if I get killed. You'd also have to believe that all of them were sleeping so deeply that they didn't hear these disciples come and push this massive stone out of the road. They didn't hear anything, and they didn't even feel the breath of air as, as they ran past them or carried the body of Jesus. You'd also have to believe that they didn't know who actually did it. But apparently they did know who did it. So how would they know who did it if they were asleep? There's just so many things that you'd have to believe that just don't make any sense. Uh, Clark says this, Adam Clark says about this, said, here is a whole heap of absurdities. Uh I totally agree. Now, this saying has been reported among the Jews until this day. There have been so many objections over the years to the resurrection of Jesus. Some people say, well, he didn't really die. He just swooned, you know, looked like he was dead and he fainted on the cross and then he spontaneously, you know, revived himself in the tomb. And others say he did die, but his body was actually stolen. People say, well, you know, uh, he died, uh, but uh, these desperate followers of his hallucinated his resurrection. But a plain and very simple understanding of all the things that we see as evidence is of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that actually answers every conjecture. And it shows that it takes far more faith to believe in the other things than it does to believe in just what the Bible simply tells us. Spurgeon said this, I suppose, brethren, that we may have persons arise 
Who will doubt whether there was ever such a man as Julius Caesar or Napoleon Bonaparte? And when they do, when all reliable history is flung to the winds, then, but not till then, may they begin to question whether Jesus Christ rose from the dead. For this historical fact is attested by more witnesses than almost any other fact that stands on record in history, whether sacred or profane. David Guzik says this, We sometimes sing, You ask me how I know he lives, he lives inside my heart. But that is not the best way to prove that Jesus lives. He lives because the historical evidence demands we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. If we can believe anything in history, we can believe the reliable, confirmed testimony of these eyewitnesses that Jesus rose from the dead. Verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed from them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Um, Matthew doesn't tell us about the Jerusalem appearances of Jesus to his disciples. That's recounted uh, in, in the book of John. Matthew was more interested in showing that the promise of Jesus in Matthew 26, verse 32, was actually fulfilled. And here we have them going to a mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. In other words, a meeting place. Bruce said this, the meeting place would be somewhat a familiar haunt, only imperfectly recorded in the Gospels. So we don't know where it was. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Same reaction as the two women. Um, now, this is not their first meeting. They've actually already met with risen Jesus in Jerusalem. Now they're meeting risen Jesus in, in Galilee. And so this is their second time that they're meeting him. And at this meeting is when they receive their apostolic commission to be apostles. And what's interesting to me is that some still doubted, even though this was the second time that they had seen risen Jesus. Um, I don't know if they just felt it was too good to be true. Uh, if, if, if Thomas was kind of like, Oh, I just don't know. He's not at some of the things. Um, it, I don't know if there's just lingering shame, but the fact that they, they were pretty useless in the end. Um, particularly watching Jesus suffer. I, I, they doubt maybe, maybe it was their own. Maybe they would just had a very self-centered perspective of like, well, I don't deserve for him to, be risen from the dead and resurrected because I was not very good as a disciple. But France says this, when they recognized him, it was natural that they worshipped him. But the whole experience was so mysterious and overwhelming that some doubted. The verb distazo does not denote a settled unbelief, but a state of uncertainty and hesitation. Wanting to believe, but uh, 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 I think that's us a lot. Still with Jesus, it, we, we have this hesitation when, when he, when he says he can do something through us and we're like, oh, I kind of believe it, but I'm not sure. Uh, uh. And I think a lot of Christians end up dying on this planet, not having fulfilled their true potential in Christ because they live with a life of hesitation. So if you want to get something out of this today, do not live with a life of hesitation. Don't do that. The fact that some of these disciples doubted, um, actually to me, really goes against the theory that the disciples were hallucinating. Because if they were hallucinating, they would have said, no, for sure we saw him. Uh, we were so desperate to see him, we just pretended we did. But they actually acknowledged, no, we. some of us doubted. 
That was the actual record. Um, so let's move on to verse 18. Jesus came and spoke to them. These are the last words of Jesus recorded by Matthew. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All authority. All authority to all the nations, to about all things I've commanded you. And I will be with you always. How many times has God got, got to tell us that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me before we will start believing that he's the God of the all? He's not the God of the maybe or the some things. He's the God of all things. Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for good to them who are in Christ Jesus and are the called according to his purpose. All things. Doesn't mean all things are good, but all things will be worked together for good. So the commission that Jesus has given to the disciples is in light of this authority that has now been given to him. In other words, it's a command, go, therefore. It is not a suggestion to go if you'd like to pray about it. If you feel called, go, therefore. If you feel, no, you go. You go to your neighbor and you go to halfway around the world. You go wherever, but you're called to go somewhere. Now, this is something that uh, we have to understand that Jesus has the power that he earned on the cross. And any power we have, we didn't earn it, we get it as a gift. And that's why when Jesus says, go therefore, he's given us the gift of the power that we need through the Holy Spirit to go and do what he's told us to do. That's why he can command it, because he paid the price for it. He's going to equip us with the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. And and France says this, these verses magnificently conclude the final section of Matthew, but they also bring the whole gospel to a dynamic conclusion, which is in fact more a beginning than an end. Spurgeon said this, who is to go out of that first band of disciples? Is it? It is Peter, the rash and the headstrong. It is John who sometimes wishes to call fire from heaven to destroy men. It is Philip with whom the Saviour has been so long and yet he has not known him. It is Thomas who must put his finger into the print of the nails or he will not believe him. Yet the master says to them, go ye, all power is given unto me, therefore go ye. You are as good for my purpose as anybody else ever will be. There is no power in you, I know, but then all power is in me, therefore go. Go and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples, not just converts, not just followers. Remember, disciple is a disciplined follower, somebody who does what God asked them to do. Make them. You don't just invite people. Would you like to be a disciple? I know you've given your life to Jesus and accepted his free gift of salvation. Now, we have option B over here. Uh, this is the option pack of whether you'd like to move on to level two and maybe become a disciple. But it's okay. You don't have to uh, because you know, salvation is secure with level one, but level two is kind of for those people who are just all in, you know, really. No, 
Level one leads to level two. If you become a follower and accept the free gift of salvation, you must become a disciple. We are to make disciples. I don't suggest to somebody, hey, I'd like you to become a disciple. I, as a pastor, am trying to make people into disciples. They're not created at conversion. You don't instantly become a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ. It's the product of having other people invest in you, the counsel of the saints, the listening to the voice of God. My sheep know me. They hear my voice. What does God's voice sound sound like? And the making of disciples is how Christianity is meant to spread across this earth. And Jesus says, make disciples of all the nations. Uh, Jesus deliberately had restricted his work to the Jewish people because he came to his own. He was a fulfillment of prophecy to the Jewish people, Matthew 15. And then he previously sent his disciples with the same restriction in, in Matthew 10. He said, this is go to the Jews first. And then he ministers among the Gentiles in Matthew chapter 15. Now all that is in the past and the disciples are commissioned to take the gospel to all nations. There's no place on earth where the gospel message of Jesus Christ shouldn't be preached and disciples shouldn't be made. And when we do that, we're meant to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, had he been following Old Testament tradition, he would have said, uh, go and make disciples and circumcise them all. He didn't say that. No, we don't do that anymore. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it, it, it's not the, the sign of the covenant. The sign of the covenant is that you'll be baptised. It was the outward display. You can read about that in Romans chapter 6, our understanding of what that means. Um, the, the words and the context here indicate that disciples are the ones who are baptised. Okay? This is very important. Make disciples, baptizing them. So you have to be old enough to be able to understand that you're a disciple before you can be baptized. Now, I know a lot of people who uh, were baptized as children. You know, they grew up in church and six, seven years of age and they got baptized and that's great and I celebrate their love for Jesus. But I'm not sure that a six and seven year old fully grasps what it means to be a disciple, a disciplined follower of Jesus who understands death and resurrection, who understands that when they go down in the water, they're dying to themselves. All those things talked about in Romans six. Uh, and so I, I want to encourage you. There's nothing wrong with that, but I've seen people who were baptized at an early age too early and they need to do it again later as an adult because it's more of their decision. Should never have anything to do with their parents. Baptism is 100% about our personal decision. Now, I thank the Lord for people who were christened and baptised in churches uh, as babies because that was their parents introducing them to faith and a reality of Jesus. And I don't discount that at all. But I know that the only way that we can get to heaven is to make our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to accept that gift of salvation. And then, which is part of the step, is we become a disciple, discipline follower, and then we're baptized. And so I just want to throw that out to you. And that might be something I'm not meaning to offend anybody or upset somebody. Um, I also think there's nothing wrong with getting baptized twice. So, you know, if it happened when you were eight or nine, you don't quite remember it and you're not sure, just go do it again. Look, God's never going to say to you, how dare you be, how dare you represent me twice for your decision to follow me. No, that's only the devil's going to whisper that in your ears. But don't do it out of fear of securing your salvation. Like, oh, every time I sin, I've got to go and get baptized again. No, don't do that. 
what it is meant to be is an understanding of what it means to be a disciple. And we do it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. France says this, the experience of God in these three persons is the essential basis of discipleship. At the same time, the singular noun name, not names, underlines the unity of the three persons. What do we do? Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Disciples are made through being taught, teaching. That's why we need the apostolic gift of teaching to be exercised more in the church. Because the teaching is not just with words only, it's also with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches us, guides us into all things. And he's going to be present in the lives of every single Christ follower until the end of the age. And when we teach people, we have to teach people that you have to do everything that Jesus commanded you. All, all things. So if he says, you know, put filthy language out of your mouth, put filthy language out of your mouth. Done. Don't want to hear any more about it. Don't justify to me why it's okay to swear. It's not okay. Just stop it. That's all things. Go into all the world. Start going into all the world. Honor your mother, father. Start honoring your mother, father. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Start loving your neighbor as you love yourself. You got to forgive somebody 70 times seven. Start forgiving somebody 70 times seven. Doing all the things. There's so many. Now, that can become overwhelming if you're like, well, how am I going to do all that? Well, you'll never do it on your strength and nor will I. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because Jesus said, I am with you even until the end of the age. Jesus sent the disciples and in turn you and me on a mission. But he says, I'm not going to send you out alone. I'm going to be with you. And that's more than enough than the disciples needed and more than enough that we need to make disciples of the nations. He's with us every single step. And his presence means a few things. I'm going to close this with some thoughts from David Guzik. Uh, his presence means privilege because we work with the great king. Paul understood this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. He said, for we are God's fellow workers. We understand that we work with him. And he promised, Jesus said, I am with you always. And then we work together with him in our service. We work for Jesus, but we also work with Jesus. And his presence also means protection because we're never out of his sight. We're never out of his supervision. His presence means power because as we fulfill the great command, we work in the power of the name of Jesus, the name above all names. And his presence means peace because it always reminds us that the church belongs to Jesus, not to itself. It's his church, his church. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's his work that we carry out as the body. He's the head telling the body what to do. The body does what the head says to do. The head tells the body, go make disciples, so we go do what the head tells us. So what do we observe today? Jesus did his job, and now it's our turn to do our job. So what do you observe? Write it down. Tell everybody. Because I guarantee you that whoever is watching this, is if the Holy Spirit is gripping you and inspiring you, he's putting something new in your heart today. So trust him. Trust him. He'll be with you. He'll never let you down. Never. Heavenly Father, thank you, Jesus. You did everything you needed to on the cross and you're still a gracious and wonderful Lord and Saviour in our lives. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that raised you from the dead that now dwells in us. 
and that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day. Thank you.